Today on the Orthodox Ethos Podcast, Unfollowing the Holy Fathers and the Meaning of Heresy. In today's podcast, we're going to focus on the epistle for the feast today of the Holy Fathers. This is the feast of the Fourth Ecumenical Council, 630, that were gathered in Chalcedon, one of the most, if not the most important ecumenical council in the history of the Church. And so this council affected for generations up until our day the history of the Christian East. And it's an extremely important council to understand, both historically and in terms of its theology. But we're going to focus on an aspect of today's feast, which is not directly related to the council, but has to do generally with the nature of heresy. And it's from the epistle of St. Paul to the, his disciple Titus. And for our analysis today, we're going to rely heavily on um, one of my teachers and uh, I would say contemporary church fathers in many ways for the church in Greece in any case, and that is Father George Metalinos. I'm eternally grateful to Father George for all that he offered me personally, but more importantly, what he offered to the church as a whole. And I gratefully and gladly follow him and present to you what is thankfully based largely on his writings and homilies, because it is also based on the teachings of the Church Fathers. And so following the Holy Fathers, following the Fathers of our day who follow the Holy Fathers, this chain, this golden chain that has come down to us from the Holy Apostles, this is the stance of every Orthodox Christian to follow the Holy Fathers, not theoretically, not just in their writings and selectively, but those who came before us historically and chronologically, who also followed the Holy Fathers. It's extremely important that we be uh, continuers and in, in their footsteps. And so, again, I'm gratefully uh, going to be using a lot of what Father George taught and pass it on to you, because I feel this is my role. Uh, it's the role of every Orthodox priest, is to pass on to the faithful the teachings of the Holy Fathers. So let's look at St. Paul's epistle to Titus, the excerpt that we read in the churches today, and the particular three or four lines that are pertinent to the question of heresy. And St. Paul says to Titus, this is a faithful saying, and these things I will that thou affirm constantly that they which have believed in God might be careful to maintain good works. These are the good and profitable unto men. But avoid foolish questions and genealogies and contentions and strivings about the law, for they are unprofitable and vain. A man that is a heretic after the first and second admonition reject, knowing that he that is such is subverted and sinneth, being condemned of himself. This is the King James Version translation, which I think is probably the most faithful. Elsewhere, in contemporary, in, in newer translations, we hear not 
a man that is a heretic, but a man that is factious. And we'll talk about why that's not the best translation. So the heretic, he says, depart from him. Uh, there are many contemporary interpretations from commentaries, especially those scholars of New Testament. But in the Orthodox Church, in the context of the writings of the Holy Fathers, it's very clear what we mean. Specific meaning that the term took on in the language of the Holy Fathers is what we are interested in. And it means a distorter of the faith, of the revealed truth, of the God-given way of salvation. Everything is soteriologically related. All theology has to do with the salvation of the world and therefore with Christology. It's all connected. It does not mean one that is simply factious or quarrelsome. This idea, this redefinition of the word, for the Orthodox in any case, which is even promoted by well-known theologians and hierarchs, is itself a part of an heretical view of the church and of heterodoxy, which is being promoted within mainly the movement of ecumenism, a view which has dreadful consequences for the salvation of many today. It is meant, and it does in fact, uh, carry out a blurring of the boundaries. And this blurring of the boundaries cannot but be of demonic inspiration and origin. The boundaries were given by God, established by God, both in nature and in the faith. The boundaries were established by the Holy Fathers. The very decisions of the ecumenical councils are called boundaries, oros, in Greek. And so the boundaries of the church, the boundaries of heresy and orthodoxy, are of extreme importance, for they are the, the markers by which people can then draw close to Christ. If those do not exist, the boundaries are blurred, those who are far from the truth but seeking it cannot find it. The, the markers are not there for them to discover and understand. So this confession of the Orthodox faith, which includes this, the clear boundaries of heterodoxy and orthodoxy of the church and of the heterodox, is of of salvific importance for all of us. And exactly, it's this which heresy comes to destroy. Heresy is a distorted, corrupted version or vision of the person of Jesus Christ and therefore of his church. It does not lead to the salvation, the deification of man to redeem him from the fallen world. Let's look first at the Holy Fathers, the true theologians, and then we'll see comparatively, what a heretic and a her and heresy is all about. To truly grasp the tragedy of heresy and of heretics, how the work and the lives of them uh, are distorted, we need to first see their diametrical opposite, the Holy Fathers, and their main work, which is theology. The Holy Fathers do not separate dogma from ethos, doctrine from life. The offer the truth who is Christ. They challenged dogmatic errors while simultaneously shepherding their spiritual children and leading them in the context of the life in Christ, the communion of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Fathers are not ideologues. They're not engaged in uh, debates uh, and, and culture wars per se. Certainly they're going to stand against that which erodes salvation, whatever it might be, including the moral life, of course. But they're Aim is always the flock, the shepherding of the flock. That's the first and foremost uh, aim of every shepherd and every holy father. And all theology has to do with the salvation of those who are seeking Christ. 
they theologize with the enlightenment of the Holy Spirit. They first become vessels of the Holy Spirit, temples of the Holy Spirit, through the ascetic life, through the purification uh, of the passions, and through the love of Christ. That is the ascetic life. It's one and the same. Anyone who loves Christ is going to be an ascetic, and an ascetic is one who loves Christ and seeks to be purified of everything that obstructs the communion, his communion with Christ. Through and in this life in Christ, they become spirit-enabled, energized, God-moved mouths of the word and hands of the spirit. Theology is an expression of their inner life. Their theology is equal to that which the spirit reveals with them, within them, his light, which they then share abroad. One can remember the saying of St. Siloam the Athenite that the perfect, the, the saints only speak what the Holy Spirit has given them to speak. They speak what they see in their enlightened and godly hearts. They see spiritually in their hearts. They speak what they have been given. Hence, they are not thinker, thinkers, philosophers of the world, for human thinking is not and cannot be theology. Not, it's not divine human. It's not theanthropic, just to sit and ponder and think and reflect. These are not armchair theologians, people in uh, high towers of academia. These are not the Holy Fathers. This is not what the Holy Fathers have done and did. They were always men of the church, in the church, for the church, for the faithful in the church. So this kind of philosophy, this kind of thinking will always remain a, uh, on the human level, metaphysics, uh, philosophy of men. St. Gregory the Theologian says the following, which is very instructive. It is not for everyone to think about God, to, to contemplate God, to be theologians, in other words. It's not for everyone, he says. This thing is not so cheap and so humble. It's not for everyone, except for the tried and the tested and those who have advanced in theoria, that is, the, the vision of God, and who have previously been purified, this is the key, in both soul and body, or at least are now being purified. So he says here the key is purification, which then leads to illumination, and therefore one can speak of God, God speaking in them and through them. The Holy Fathers have every right to say, and this is, this is the key in Orthodox ecclesiology, it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us. That, that's the order of things, a good to the Holy Spirit and to us. And they have no, there's no risk for the Holy Fathers to be accused of being arrogant when they say this, because this is an experience that they've had in the church and following the Holy Fathers before them. We read also in the Athenite Tome of 1341, where the Holy Fathers of Mount Athos were supporting St. Gregory Palamas against the heretics of their day, and that is Barlam and the others who are influenced by humanism and scholasticism from the West, and they said there, these things we were taught in the scriptures, these things we received from the Holy Fathers, these things we knew through experience. Scriptures, Holy Fathers, experience. None of those can be absent if we're going to talk about Orthodox theology and the truth of the gospel being preached and taught throughout the ages. Let's look now at the heretics. What is a heretic and what is the characteristic 
the chief characteristic of heretics. They are the healers, those who seek to heal, that is, but who are not healed. Heresy is not just a logical error. It's not simply a failure in understanding or an inability to find the truth and therefore to speak from a human perspective. It's a deeper and more uh, substantial reality. It is that rationalism applied to the things of God. A heretic could know the Bible cover to cover. He could be blameless morally in an external way. He could be brilliant intellectually. And yet, all of that does not, make, does not save him from heresy because the key is the experience of the Holy Spirit which the fathers had and which they have in every age, including our own. We all we have fathers today, and we will have fathers until the second coming. It's the inner enlightenment of the spirit that they're missing. So having a total knowledge of the scriptures, learning it by heart, and remaining blameless moral, morally does not make you a theologian. These are not uh, things that, therefore, we can say, look, this is a person of... of authority that we ought to listen to, but the experience of the Holy Spirit. And why? Why don't they have this experience that the Holy Fathers had? They've not undergone the healing within the church, the healing process that the church offers. They've not gone through the process of purification, of healing from the passions. And therefore, they're always under the influence of the demons because the demons work through the passions. Insofar as we are enslaved to the passage, we open ourselves up to demonic. And we remain purely human. We cannot have the full communion, total uh, inspiration and guidance of the Holy Spirit. It's a come and go uh, kind of reality for us. We get up, we fall, we get up, we fall. But the Holy Fathers have arrived and they have the Spirit dwelling within them. The heretics do not. They do not see what the fathers see in the spirit. They do not have a pure heart in which then they could see in their heart uh, the vision of God. They are not transformed into the temples of the Holy Spirit. They've had a poor or non-existent treatment of the passions. And hence, theology for them is a mental scientific hypothesis, a logical and reasoning game. No experience of deification, hence no discernment of the spirits, no discernment of truth or falsehood. They do not have noetic prayer, which is only possible in a purified heart within the church. The truth is not in their heart. It's not dwelling. The spirit of God, the spirit of truth is not dwelling in their heart. And so they cannot reach the glory, uh, which is the revelation of all truth in the Holy Spirit. This is the great tragedy of heresy and heretics. They're unenlightened of themselves and they seek to enlighten. They are sick themselves and they seek to heal. They're atheists themselves with the meaning that the fathers use, that is someone without God, does not have the experience of God, and yet they seek to theologize and to speak of God. They're pseudo-doctors and charlatans, doctors who actually offer murderous treatment which kills man eternally. Pharmacists dealing in drugs that are poisonous, 
not just for the physical health, but for the eternal and spiritual health of man. This is a great threat today. There's a great threat today. And what is that threat? That this patristic understanding of heresy is being set aside. And we see how destructive heresy is when we understand the patristic view of it and what a threat it is to our salvation and the salvation of the world. But the great threat is that there are many who want to minimize this to actually do away with it entirely. And they want to minimize the differences between orthodoxy and heresy, the orthodox church and the heterodox. They suppose that differences are simply superficial, trivial, uh, one of language, one of uh, expression, of terminology, on the level of the theoretical only, and not a question of life, not a question of experience of the Spirit of God. Uh, and it's a, it's a thing that's far removed from life, where there is a convergence, actually, they say. We have a convergence. Uh, we're, we're all one in, in, in Christ. We're all Christians. And uh, all of those things, the theological questions, are all very theoretical and removed from life. But this is, this is what they've been saying in Protestantism for 150, 200 years. Now, this is not the orthodox understanding. And so when you hear this kind of talk, you know that the person who's, been, who's speaking it has fallen away from orthodox theology and from the narrow path of the Holy Fathers. It's a major error to think uh, of ourselves as orthodox and then compare ourselves to the heterodox and then seeing that, well, there's not much of a difference on that human level Therefore, there's not much of a difference between orthodoxy and heterodoxy. We mollify ourselves with what our passionate selves want to hear. We don't, we don't want to worry. We don't need to confess. We don't need to suffer. We don't need to be thrown out of the synagogue, you see. And that all makes sense. If you make the differences disappear, then all of those difficulties that cross, lifting up, being lifted up, on the cross, that all disappears, and life becomes much more pleasant for the time being. If we compare, however, the patristic example and teaching with the heterodox example and teaching, not ourselves and our neighbors, but with the saints and the teaching of the heterodox and the examples they put forward, immediately it becomes apparent that there are essential differences and indeed of eternal significance. There we see a difference, first of all, in terms of the therapeutic program, the path to healing from purification to illumination to deification. There's the key, which does not exist outside the church. There are many there might be similarities in terms of language. They might have adopted orthodox teaching uh, in their books, but in practice, it does not exist outside the church. There we see that the way of Christ and the way of heresy are as different as day and night. Then we see that the theanthropic spiritual life of the church begets saints and holy fathers. St. Paisios, our holy elder of Frem in America, St. Porfirios, many saints today in the church. St. Gabriel of Georgia, read the lives of the saints. See what the therapeutic program of the church produces and compare that to what the therapeutic program of the heterodox produces. This is the level of true orthodox analysis and theology, and not the academics who sit back and do studies of times past as if they can analyze in a microscope 
the words and writings of the fathers without the experience of the fathers. There's a huge difference between the therapeutic spiritual life of the church, which begets, as I said, saints and holy fathers, and the spirit and way of heresy, which is delusion and ultimately spiritual death, separation from communion with Christ, which is given through the mysteries in the church. We must follow the Holy Fathers in all things, brothers and sisters. This is the characteristic of an Orthodox Christian. We follow the Holy Fathers. For they are the test. They are the golden mouths of the word, the logos, who, can, who call not only the heretics and the heterodox, but all of us poor Orthodox of the eighth millennium to the genuine healing in Christ, which only exists in the church, and which only leads to glorification and true theology. So we see, I hope, in this short homily, the short view of the scriptural passage, we see that the original erroneous claim that a heretic is only one who errs uh, according to his way. In other words, he's troublesome, he's quarrelsome. But it's not, it's not one that errs according to the faith. This is what's been put forward by some of the most official voices in the Orthodox Church today, archbishops and patriarchs, to their great detriment and the detriment of those who follow them, because this is not the tr tradition of the Church, the patristic teaching, and the experience of the saints. One who is simply quarrelsome, factious, could be seen and be, in reality, someone who's fighting against heresy, as many saints were seen in their days. St. Athanasius the Great, St. Maximus the Confessor, St. Mark of Ephesus. Do you think that they were not seen as tr troublemakers when they did not receive and accept a quick and easy union with the heterodox as St. Mark? He was certainly seen as a troublemaker and a factious man who did not go along for the good of the emperor and the empire and the union of the churches. So this is a very mistaken idea dangerous idea. It's indicative, indeed, of the contemporary heresy and heretical mindset we see in the ecumenist uh, mindset and ecumenical movement, where no one wants to talk about heresy. No one is a heretic any longer. This is the idea, the popular idea, that doesn't even exist today. Heresy no longer exists. We are simply brothers in Christ, and everything else is going to be smoothed over. I don't even want to use this term. You don't hear this term from the mouths of some of the highest uh, uh, officials and representatives of the various denominations. This idea itself is indeed a heretical idea, a demonic delusion of the first order, which is an important pillar of the mystery of iniquity, which will lead to the ascent of the man of iniquity. So it is essential that we all acquire the mind of Christ, the mind of the Holy Fathers, following them in their teaching. And on this Sunday of the great Fourth Ecumenical Council, the Sunday of the Holy Fathers, that we understand and discern the difference between the Orthodox teaching and the teaching of contemporary heretical teachers and the mindset of those who've fallen away from the narrow path of the church. May God help us and illumine us 
in these very difficult days to remain faithful to the witness and teaching of the Holy Fathers. Oh,